Hi, I'm Mike TV, the principal songwriter for the band Get Set Go. And I have written a lot of songs, like between one and 2,000 songs over the course of my career. And of those, I currently have about 500 original compositions that I can play on request. Um, and I've had a lot of success as a musician. Music licenses, international tours, a Grammy nomination. My music has been listened to by millions and millions of people. But even so, I haven't written a breakout hit. A song that catapults me into one-hit wonder status, much less bona fide rock stardom. But how often does that even happen? I mean, how many big hits do we encounter each month, much less each year? And that's within an assumed 850,000 songwriters on the planet today. So being a hit songwriter really is an unrealistic metric for success. For me, it's a question of why do I write songs? Will I keep writing songs? Can I keep on keeping on? The question is persistence. Let's take the Wayback Machine to 2006-ish, spring, and Get Set Go, my band, is on tour, and we're traveling from Boise, Idaho to Denver, Colorado, I think, and we're in Wyoming, which has less people in the entire state than the city of Sacramento, so there's not a single person or another car around. There's no buildings, just a road cutting through landscape, and we're driving through this absolutely pristine valley, like a picture-perfect valley, surrounded on all sides by mountains. It's verdant, and it's lush, and it's gorgeous, and it's either late morning or early afternoon, and because we're on tour, we're sort of just zoned out. You know, with hours and hours of driving every single day, by like day two of touring, you stop absorbing the environment you're barreling through. And instead, you listen to books, or you watch TV shows, or you play games, but the outside becomes simply visual background noise. So I was in the front seat passenger side, and because this valley was so pristine, so untouched by humanity, minus the road, of course, uh, we were just marveling. And in the distance, we see a big cloud of something. It looks like brown smoke, or low rolling pollution, or something cloud-like streaming down the mountain. So I point it out and I say, what's that? And as we near this large miasma of whatever it is, we notice that it's all particles, little fluttering particles. And suddenly this brown cloud turns colorful. Suddenly we're seeing oranges and yellows and then we realize, oh my God, it's butterflies. Millions and millions of butterflies, like for as far as the eye can see on the right side of the van, going all the way up the mountains, and as far back as we can see, there's just butterflies. And so of course, we're like, ooh, awesome, look at this, it's gorgeous. It is as profound a natural occurrence as I have ever witnessed. And so we in the front pointed out to our bandmates in the back, and we all just live in this brief moment of magic as we race towards the sea of floating, flitting, fluttering butterflies. And then we intersect them. Blink, 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 blink. As we start intercepting these big, beautiful, yet very ripe and full of butterfly goo butterflies, and what started off as a magical Disney moment that really felt like it was straight out of a storybook, our very own sort of special universe, very quickly, it becomes blink, 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 splat, 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 an abattoir uh, of first 10, and then 20, and then 30, and then so many butterflies on the oversized van windshield that my windshield wipers are having trouble clearing them off. Like, even with the wiper spray, which washes them a bit and cleans them up a bit, uh, we literally have to slow down and let the windshield wipers catch up. There's just too many of them. And there's something about the carnage that makes this expanse filled with beautiful, carefree, and placid butterflies suddenly feel ominous. At first it feels like, oh, we're murdering them. Oh, we're terrible people. But after maybe half a mile, it starts to feel like, wait, wait, 
do these butterflies have it out for us? Like, we are, we are safe, right? I mean, sure, they're completely powerless to get in the van, right? But as the number of dead butterflies grows, as the windshield and the large side view mirrors, and as the hood of the van just start to grow ever more submerged in butterfly carcasses, it starts to feel like maybe these butterflies know something we don't. Like, maybe we never hear of people being killed and consumed by millions of savage butterflies because the butterflies don't leave anything behind. I mean, when you are in a storm of butterflies, so much so that it starts affecting your sunlight, it goes from being beautiful to concerning pretty darn quickly. But then, as I am wont to do, I started thinking about it from the butterfly's perspective. Maybe the butterflies were like, enough is enough. These humans with their pollution and their cars and their pesticides, we're done, we're fighting back. Or maybe there was something even deeper, like more arcane. Maybe there was some ineffable message being sent to us by the arthropod community. Maybe the butterfly gods had taken umbrage with us specifically. And so me and my bandmates, we started throwing out all these various possible scenarios. But the longer I contemplated it, the more I started to feel a sense of solidarity with the butterflies. And not, not all the butterflies, just the ones that were crashing into our van. The ones that seemed to be killing themselves to get inside. And yes, of course, that's obviously not what they were doing. But when you see scores and scores of butterflies die in your windshield, it certainly feels like they're trying to get in. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm like you. I'm throwing myself full tilt at an unachievable goal too. And I too am willing to put my life on the line and crash headlong into the windshield. And so the beautiful Disney scene that then became a rolling death field of carnage, suddenly I was like, wow, okay, I'm with you. I wanted you to fly out of the way, but you didn't. And that sacrifice, intentional or not, matters. In that moment, looking at those dead butterflies, I felt connected like, I see you, I feel you. You're tilting at windmills, not because you're crazy, you're being a butterfly. You're being fierce and unafraid and you're crashing headlong into us. Wham. And your life ended on my windshield and that matters. Anyway, I get it. It's probably crazy. It's definitely crazy, but it really stuck with me. Just this weird bonding moment with scores and scores of kamikaze butterflies. And I continued to think about it for years until almost seven years later, I wrote this song. My voice is so very small It's a wonder that I'm heard at all Like a fierce butterfly I try to fly through the squall these are a few of my words It's a miracle they're ever heard Like a fierce butterfly I do get out with the birds And though I fight I'll surely die But while I fight I am alive So I say let it come down And when it's all stacked against you and when there's nothing you can do Oh, you can fight So this is my tiny song Soon enough it will be gone Like a fierce butterfly I take the windshield head on La 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 la
la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la la Once I dreamed that I might live a significant life But like I'm a dreams upon waking it seems that they die Once I chance upon hope But hope is a very long note And with enough length and so little strength you will choke But I will fight and I will die For while I fight I am alive So I say let it come down And when it's all stacked against you And when there's nothing you can do This is my tiny song Soon enough it will be gone Like a fierce butterfly I take the windshield head on Like a fierce butterfly I take the windshield head on Welcome to Hesitation Cuts Episode 1 The very first one of hopefully a long and thrilling series of stories and songs where I, Mike TV, try to make heads or tails out of the perilous and action-packed life of a professional songwriter, touring musician, internet performer, former television development executive, former television writer, former drug addict, indie rock impresario, rave promoter, comic book collector, and role-playing geek. And today's episode is about persistence, like Sisyphus perpetually shoving that rock up the hill only to have it roll right back down. It's not so much what you achieve, but having the temerity to keep at it. So I'm Mike TV. My band is called Get Set Go. And the way most people on the planet Earth know my band is through our constant exposure on the show Grey's Anatomy from 2003 to 2012. They ultimately licensed seven songs, but two of them, my song Wait and my song I Hit Everyone, they licensed repeatedly for a total that ranged somewhere in the mid-teens. And man, I could literally do an entire episode just about Grey's Anatomy, and I think I will at some point. But my success with Grey's Anatomy, as much as I love and adore everyone involved that made Get Set Go's inclusion on that show possible, for a full decade, our exposure was also a bit of a double-edged sword. Mostly because if you look at my Spotify or my Apple Music or any other streaming service, my most successful songs are just the songs that have been licensed by film and TV. Which makes sense, because television has such a significant audience, particularly a hit show, which Grey's Anatomy was, and I think almost 20 years later still is. Um, and if a licensed song is well-placed, it can really enhance a scene, thus enhancing a viewer's excitement for both the show as well as for the song. But unfortunately, people's excitement for my songs on Grey's Anatomy, or Weeds, or Jack and Bobby, or the movie Burning Annie, or the movie Malibu Spring Break, or the 15 other film and TV licenses that I've had over my career, that excitement just doesn't translate to curiosity about my later catalog of songs. So I sort of peaked on my first two albums, and I have 22 albums in stores. So yeah, so that's this podcast. Because I having over 400 songs available via streaming services and another 130 songs in the wings ready to be released, it means that if you're a newcomer to Get Set Go, you're going to be overwhelmed. And I get that. So I figured I would curate my music for you. 
Now, certainly having 22 albums might seem nutty. And from a business perspective, it certainly is, you know, because without a hit album, how do people know what album to start with, right? And actually, that's just for a given value of hit. We do have a couple hit records, not gold selling records, but records that put us on the map. Not enough to break through the absurd degrees of white noise generated by the music industry every single day. But the way I look at it, my first job has never been to sell records per se. My job has been to master the art of writing Mike TV songs, trying to master the art of recording Mike TV songs. But actually, in retrospect, if I'm totally honest with myself, I was just sort of waiting. Because I thought that if I just wrote better music, put out better albums, made my music so amazing that it was undeniable, that the world would just be compelled to flock to me. That people would hear my latest record and be like, wow, Mike TV, what a genius. Such thoughtful, singable, magical music. And they'd look at my oeuvre and they'd say, wow, and so much of it, you know? And I thought I was destined to be like the Van Gogh of rock and roll, the undiscovered genius that once discovered would forever have a place in the halls of the rock and roll gods. And in this pursuit of capturing my life perfectly in song, this desire to transform my loves, my fears, my struggles, my triumphs, my frustrations, and my obsessions into three to five minute spells of oral ecstasy, I accidentally drifted away from my audience. You know, I mean, I had the good fortune to know thousands of Get Set Go's audience, from my days at Mr. T's Bowl and the LA indie rock scene and Kiss or Kill to my constant touring. If you wanted to get to know me, I was readily and easily available, and I met and befriended thousands of people that dug my music. And that was the core of my audience for years. But when I moved to Austin in 2014, I stopped being an active presence in the lives of most of my fans, and slowly but surely, people's engagement with my music started to diminish. And the crazy thing is, I wrote the prescription for how to correct this issue of diminishing engagement years ago. It's on my first record. I mean, if you imagine my audience as a person that I'm trying to woo, if you imagine Get Set Go fans as a person with whom I have had a crush that I obsess over and spent all of my days thinking about, which is true, because I do obsess over the idea of songs that resonate with me that might resonate with them and with the world at large. And if you can imagine that, then I wrote a song that's one of my hit songs that explains exactly what will happen if I remain sequestered in the studio just writing and not engaging. In fact, it's my biggest hit song, and it is effectively a call to action, oddly enough. Now, this song has millions and millions of plays on Spotify, so I I'm always hyper aware of it. And it was literally telling me from my 2003 self to my 2022 self, what would happen if I waited too long? If I got too focused on the music and I didn't actively try to reach out to my audience? If I didn't tell them how important they were to me and give them something from me to them that was honest, earnest, and coming from a genuine place of love? What would happen if I didn't take action? If I just kept waiting? It's literally the title of the song, the very first lyric. Long he will be gone 
região make a decision. If you stay on the fence, you're going to miss out. And what I totally missed, despite having played this song hundreds, if not thousands of times, is that I too needed to get off the fence. People weren't going to flock to me, no matter how amazing my music was, without me reaching out. I needed to step out of the recording studio and into the lives of the people who gave me purpose. And that's why my live stream exists. That's why this podcast exists. Obviously, my music career has had some crazy roller coaster like ups and downs. For a full decade, my music was bolstered by significant film and TV licenses. Grey's Anatomy was awesome, and without Shonda Rhimes and Susan Vale and that show, I don't think I'd even be here. But also, the second season finale of Weeds, literally at the climax of that second season, one of the most powerful moments in the entire show, they used my song Die Motherfucker Die, and Jack and Bobby, and some amazing indie movies, and the list goes on and on. For quite a while, my music was all over the place. So, you would think that I should have been able to capitalize on that, right? I should have been able to use my exposure on these hit shows, my music being heard by tens of millions of people over and over. I should have been able to translate that into more significant success, right? You would think. But alas, that's not my skill set. That's not the skill set I've spent nearly 30 years developing. It's not what I'm good at doing. Self-promotion to me often feels like self-aggrandizement. And that's a big reason why I walked away from submitting my music to film and television, because First, I didn't think my music was good enough. I mean, I also really felt like I just somehow bamboozled everyone involved with my music, from the record label to the folks at Grey's Anatomy to my fans, that I just bamboozled them. And at any moment now, they're going to catch on. I also felt like I wasn't improving as a songwriter and as a musician at a rate that felt commensurate with the attention my music was getting. And every time I submitted my music, I felt like, oh, someone's going to listen and be like, this music is terrible. And the bubble would burst. Everyone's appreciation of my music would just evaporate. So I moved to Austin and shut myself away in the studio and got to work. And for all the time I ignored the marketing of my music, for all the time I spent not reaching out to film and TV relationships, not playing multiple live shows a week, all the things I used to do, not doing these things didn't mean that I was idle. When I arrived in Austin, I spent that time literally thousands and thousands of hours working on songwriting and recording and mixing and mastering and understanding my art form. And in so doing, I had a lot of time to reflect on my life, and I got pretty darn good at capturing the essence of me, my shortcomings, my hang-ups, my fears, and I would often ruminate on, and still do, what would have happened if I had done something different, 
If I hadn't been saddled with so much doubt, with so much fear, if I had been a better songwriter or a better musician or just a better human, and I would take these ruminations and I would turn them into song. So capturing a song about the mercurial nature of success, if you want me to write a song about understanding that, if you want me to write a song that captures how frustrating it is to know that you're letting all the threads of opportunity slip through your fingers, if you want me to write a song about you watching your more successful self slip away, you being left with you as you are, the struggling you, the doubtful you, the only you that could be because of who you are at this very moment, that's the only you that remains. If that's the song you want to hear, or heck, maybe it's not a song you want to hear, but rather a song you need to hear, then I'm your man. They say your life flashes right before your eyes Just before you die, it's true And this is it, it's happening right now It's flashing right in front of you Have you had the time of your life? For this is the time of your life Each decision that you make creates another you that went a different way And in some other place there's another me that did it all okay Another universe is perfect me And I'm just a very flawed copy Things I do are a mystery to me It's a miracle I breathe at all I wanna live, or at least I think I do But most every choice I make is flawed Have you had the time of your life? For this is the time of your life Each decision that you make creates another you that went a different way And in some other place There's another me That did it all okay Another universe is perfect me And I'm just a very flawed copy See, it's not necessarily that I'm even leaning into the melancholy of missed opportunities or misplayed hands. I think instead it's recognizing that even the mistakes and the missteps can take you to interesting places. So if I just keep my eyes open, keep breathing, and keep my wits about me, who knows where I'm going to end up, just so long as I keep putting one foot in front of the other. And this is a lesson I'm still coming to terms with. Sometimes you just have to stop holding so tight with both hands and just let go. Not, I mean, not forever, not for always, just for now. Enjoy a beer, enjoy a sunset, enjoy time with your friends or your loved ones. If it's all work, if it's all worry, if it's all struggle, why do it in the first place? Um, I have to give myself license to sometimes just have a great time. It's hard to do, but necessary. Have you had the time of your life? For this is the time of your life. Each decision that you make creates another you that went a different way. 
in some other place There's another me that did it all okay Another universe's perfect me And I'm just a very flawed copy It's crazy because I think about all the songs I've written, so many that I absolutely love, so many songs that I know resonate with my fans and my Twitch audience, and I mean, even first-time listeners, these songs will resonate, just as long as the listener's actually listening, which can be a rare thing in these days of smartphones and perpetual distraction. But if they are listening, I know the songs will resonate. And how amazing is that? Like, it's, it's like a comedian who has spent his time working on a set so he knows, hey, these jokes slay. And if I hold for a beat and then I drop the second callback punchline, it'll knock him dead, you know? Musicians do the same thing. We iterate, we play live, digest the audience reaction, tinker and adjust, and or rewrite, and then we just rinse and repeat. But I think about these songs, and I realize that if my life had happened in any other way, if I'd made different decisions, lived my life differently, these songs would not have existed. Here Be Dragons, My Doppelgangers and Me, even Wait and I Hate Everyone. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs would just have not existed. Each song is like capturing lightning in your hands. Like if I hadn't sat down with a guitar at that exact moment, if I hadn't woken up when I did, if I, if I wasn't reading the book that I was, or if I hadn't had the conversation I did the night previous, or listened to NPR earlier in the day, or if a million different things didn't happen, these songs would never have existed. And I think about every hour of my life, every hour I have left, and I feel the weight of all of the songs that didn't get a chance to exist because I am not writing them or didn't write them or the stars just didn't correctly align. You know, maybe it's not my lot in life to write a super mega hit song. Or maybe I already have, and it's just the world that doesn't have the ears to hear it. Maybe in another universe, all of my music, as it is now, is celebrated just as ardently as the Beatles. But it really doesn't matter, at least for me, because each song is a miracle, a confluence of years of experience, thousands of belly laughs, at least a full gallon of blood, probably much more, and buckets of tears, and thousands of hours of loneliness, and self-doubt, and regret, and recrimination, and self-flagellation, but all of it. All of it, every single hardship, every moment of struggle, every difficult and frustrating thing, coupled with every wonderful moment, every genuine love, and heartfelt explosions of awesome, all of it gets condensed into song. I get to capture them. I get to turn them into music, and then I get to share them with you. Awesome. And you know, it's taken me 20 years of working as a musician, of writing and writing and writing, before I finally found it in me to celebrate what I do. To have the confidence to say, hey, I'm pretty darn good at this. I have a lot of songs, and I'm probably way more experienced than the average bear when it comes to doing what I do. And for the past decade, I've done it completely by myself. Everything, the writing, the recording, the arranging, the mixing, the mastering, and you can definitely hear my progress in my actual records, and that's really exciting. So yes, all of my failures are mine, but also are all my successes. They're mine too. And that's a pretty amazing feeling. Oh, yes. 
Cause I am tsunami crashing in like tidal forces Charging up like cavalry horses Dropping down like the force of gravity Pressing in like a surge of lava Messing with the laws of awesome As the bursts of shackles holding me I'm ultrasonic, everything you want it Everything I do for you, I do it all to turn you on I'm ultrasonic, everything you want it Everything I do for you, I do it all to turn you on I'm ultrasonic, I'll give it if I got it I'm ultrasonic, I'll give it if I got it Gonna give you everything acoustic guitar was borrowed from a good friend of mine who, after I had borrowed, in quotes, it for a few years, she finally just gave it to me. For which I still feel a sting of shame, despite the fact that I wrote probably around 300 songs on that guitar. I mean, I feel like every single one of those 300 songs I wrote uh, on that guitar are just stolen songs because I didn't fully own it and instead just appropriate it. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I used to hold this guitar 
And this is before I could even really play anything on it more than just open chords and a very, very terribly wrong version of the bar chord. But I'd hold it and I'd look at it and I would say to the guitar, every song that ever existed or ever will exist lives inside you. And every song I'll ever write is inside you. And I would just marvel at that. I would hold it and for whatever reason, I would just feel connected to that music as if through the guitar, I could reach through time forwards and backwards every song ever written, every song that will ever be written, every song that would rock my world, every song that would fill me with intense, vibrant, fiery, passionate, joyful exuberance, it was right there in my hands. All the magic, all the fury, all the fire. And then, and then I would shake it. Because, you know, you know, you never know. Maybe a song is just going to fall straight out of the sound hole. never been kicked before We're gonna hit it then we're gonna hit it ten times more We're gonna take the night We're gonna take the day We're gonna light it up and then float away We're gonna shoot it up then we'll drink it down We're gonna punch it hard right in the mouth We're gonna steal the stars We're gonna roll on by in our muscle cars Everything you don't wanna be Is everything you don't gotta be at all Everything you don't wanna be Is everything you don't gotta be at all never been done before We're gonna pound it then we're gonna pound pound it some more We're gonna light the fire We're gonna burn it out So come on baby let's you and me get down Everything you don't wanna be is everything you don't gotta be at all Everything you don't gotta be at all At all You gotta take one down, then you pass it around You gotta take two down, then you pass them around You gotta take three down, then you pass them around You gotta take four down, you gotta take more down Alright! Tonight! You know, I think the most important lesson I've learned in all of my years of pursuing music is that you have to believe that the story you want to tell is important. I mean, there are millions and millions of artists in the U.S. alone, much less the world. Millions and millions. But just because there are a lot of voices doesn't make yours any less important. So you have to believe in what you're saying, and then just keep saying it, and saying it, and saying it. 
So that's the end of the episode, and I'm really excited about this show. I think that as I get better at integrating the stories and the songs, this whole show is going to really become something special. Well, I hope, anyway. You know, it's funny, because I don't live to entertain. I like to entertain. I'm happy when people like hearing my music, but I write songs because I have to write songs. If I don't, I go a little crazy. I go a little cuckoo. And so I do this professionally, for better or for worse. I capture my life in song, and I give those songs to the world. And I've been doing it for over 20 years now, and it has been a tumult. A crazy and unpredictable ride that has bucked me off its saddle quite a handful of times. But I love it, man. And for as long as I can, I'm going to keep standing back up, dusting myself off, and hopping back on. Persistence, you know, it's what I do. It's who I am. I love you all. Thank you for listening. Be well. Eat your veggies. Live forever.